Hey guys, I'm Rachel. And I'm Erin. And this is going to be unsettling. Deeply. Um, I did a new script layout, so if this episode is wonky, just just a heads up, it might be a little wonky. Okay. I'll, I'll keep, new what? Like the way that I lay out my like script. Okay. Because normally I just write it as I would read it, but sometimes I get lost when I'm reading, so I tried to like bullet point. We'll see. We'll see if it works. I, I said scrib. I, I, I was like, what's a scrib? I did my scrib differently. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I don't, I'm not familiar with this word. I got a different scrib. And Chibi's here, so if, if you hear bark... Um, also, yeah. we have the windows open. So, I will try and back out any loud cars, but maybe it's just ambiance at this point. It's too hot. So. You might... You, you might hear the licking, though. It's pretty intense. It's disgusting. Come it's, here! It's mine. He's... Him's just a boy. Cute. So, uh, Lindsay Clancy update? Yeah. May, oh. Yeah. So, May 2nd, she has a probable cause appointment, which is where the prosecutor basically shows that they have enough evidence to charge her. Um, the issue with this case is it's really widespread, and there's, like, predetermined bias. Yeah, how are you going to get a jury? So, um, people are expecting it to take years for them to be able to find a jury that's willing to participate because of how small the town she came from is and just how far reaching. Yeah. They're um, not going to do it in that town. Yeah. And okay. at that point they might change the location of the trial, which then I guess starts over the whole process. Yes, it does. So I was reading about this actually. It's, it's going to be a bit. It's interesting to choose the jury that way. And yeah. you need to have alternates that are ready as well. Yes. And you need to have people that are willing to be like, sequestered for long periods it's like it's like crazy yeah and help you might lose your toy bud um there also has to be like subject matter experts Uh that are willing to say like you know yeah it was or wasn't postpartum so there's like a lot of people that just don't want to be involved that don't want their name tied to it yeah so that one's going to take a bit but that's supposed to happen may 2nd okay um the delphi murders It's not really an update related to the murder case specifically, um, but a man named Keegan Klein was charged with child pornography and admitted to setting up fake social media accounts to talk to young girls, including Liberty. Okay. So he has now, like, come into the situation. He's not looked at for the murders, but he is related to Liberty because he had a fake social media account set up to talk to her, full well knowing she was a little girl. Wow. And he's just a piece of scum. He looks like a bag of potatoes. It's hideous. Hideous creature. Um, Sarah Boone, have another update for her, too. Five days ago, her attorney reached out to the court to say that they might, same with Lindsay Clancy, they may have trouble getting subject matter experts. Um... Because no one with local notoriety wants to be involved with that case at all. So, same thing. It's a little town. She's a big old fuck up and no one wants to get involved. Yeah. So, that's where we're at. Keep it, I'll keep an eye on it. Um, I told you about my dream. But I need someone who, like, is a dream analyzer to tell me <laughs> what the hell it means. 
because that was like my dream was my uh not motivation inspiration for this week's case okay so i'm gonna tell you my dream I'm going to do an abridged version because it's very long and you don't need all the details. But if someone out there is like a dream analyzer, can tell me what the <laughs> fuck this means because it's befuddled me. Um, because I don't usually remember my dreams. This one I remember very vividly. I dreamed about your sister. And I dream about her a lot. Um, for any of you that don't know, she passed away nine years ago. She was my cousin, my best friend. Um, so it's not odd that I dream about her because like most of my yeah forming years were with her. Um, but I always have this reoccurring dream that we need to get her to a beach in Japan specifically. She's never been to Japan. I've never been to Japan, but I know we're going to Japan. Okay. And I, we're usually driving together. It's like we're sitting in a car or on a bus and she doesn't talk. She's just kind of there. And then by the time we get to where we're going and we get out, we, I wake up. So mm-hmm. the dream's over. So, again, that dream starts like that. We're on the bus, but she's talking to me, and she's telling me, like, this is it. We're going to get there, 12. We're going to do it. We're going to make it. And I'm like, I don't think so, but okay. But it's weird that she's talking at all. And then we get to the beach. We get off the bus, and then we walk through the hotel, which was, like, a big start because, again, I'm usually yeah, awake by then. there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then each floor of the hotel is, like, something I had to do. So, like, the first floor, I had to fight bad guys. The second floor, I had to find something. And then the third floor, I had to help, like, baby ducks or raccoons. That sounds like a good one. Yeah. It, was, it wasn't It was scary. And the whole time, she's just kind of, like, in the background, like, hey, just, you know, not really helping or hurting, just kind of there. So, we get to the bottom floor, and now we're on the beach. And I'm like, okay, we did it. We did it. And she starts to walk away and there's like a little raft in the ocean. All of a sudden she's like glowing and beautiful and like, you know, angelic, which normally I saw her as like a freaking trash monster that rolled off the couch. So it was very different from the person that I always got the pleasure of dealing with. (laughs) Um, And she just starts to like walk away. And I'm like, no, no, I didn't get to say goodbye to you. That's not cool. Like, let's do that real quick. And then she gives me a hug. And it was like the most peaceful feeling I've ever felt. And again, it was weird because she doesn't normally touch me in dreams. But, you know, I wasn't mad about it because it was nice. And she floats away. And I'm like, okay. She got to wherever she needed to go. Cool. And then uh, this is the part that just throws me for a fucking loop. I wake up in my dream. But I'm still dreaming. And... I'm old. We're, I'm in a hotel with my husband who is also old. He's like 60. Like, I look over and he's gray. And like, for the record, Eric, you look like a very nice old man. But like, he's old. So I know I'm old. And he says the same thing that he says now. Like, because when I have those dreams, sometimes I like wake up crying. Yeah. So he, even now he'll say like, oh, are you dreaming about her again? I'm sorry. Kind of thing. And gives me a hug. And that's what he did in the dream when we were like 60 years old in this hotel. And then when he gives me the hug, it feels the same way as when she hugged me. And I'm like, okay, it's really fucking weird. Like, really nice, but really fucking weird. And then I wake up, but, like, for real. So it was just weird that I woke up old. The waking up old is really what's, like... Yeah. Because, like, I can kind of assume that, like, the different floors of the hotel were, like, different things. Because I'm doing a lot in my personal life right now that I haven't done in a long time that I need to do. And it's very difficult, but it's good for me and it's good for people around me, but... So that's, like, my way of my brain saying, hey, you're doing the right thing, even though it doesn't feel like it. Yeah. The waking up old, I don't understand. Yeah. How do you tie that out? I've woken up and not woken up. Like a false wake up. Yeah, so false awakening, like, that. That happens. Yeah. And they say that's usually, like, you're startled or... Yeah, yeah. But 
it was just weird that I woke up old. Yeah. And my husband was also old. Yeah, creepy. But I had to do some digging, and then that led me to the inspiration for today's case. And I wanted to get something that was, like, a little layered. So we love aliens. Yeah. We, we love premonitions and yeah. dreams. Yeah. So we're going for both. Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> so April 2nd, 1978, Tim Cullen woke up startled but thankful to be in his bed after he had a very detailed nightmare about a car accident he was in. Ugh. Does this sound familiar at all? No. Cool. Um, he could remember very vivid details of the accident and what area, what like what the area looked like, but he had never been there before, but he knew what it looked like. Um, Tim was a cement worker in Yuma, Colorado, which is funny because mm-hmm. you're on your adventure. I'm going. So he traveled from job to job, and he never really considered like the actual traveling between jobs to be a risk of the job. But now, after this dream, he was like thinking about it. Like yeah. whenever he would drive, he's like, "Oh shit, that was a really crazy accident." So most of the day, he was like spent with cement and mixing trucks and like these big heavy machinery. That never concerned him. Now he was just worried about driving. He tried to put it behind him and had been pretty successful in doing so until he was driving down Route 34 with his friend Ken on April 9th, just a week later, after that dream. Tim was driving, but had not traveled this part of Route 34 before, and it wasn't until he crossed a clearing that he realized he was familiar with this place that he had never been. Um... He couldn't remember why until he saw specific landscaping and realized that this was the exact site from the car accident in his nightmare. Ah! Yeah, terrible. Tim immediately considered, yeah, pulling over or just stopping, turning around and like change direction. But he was trying to figure out how he could put together an explanation for his friend Ken that would make him seem like batshit crazy, right? Because he's like a cement worker. He's a burly dude. Yeah. He shouldn't be afraid of his dream. I would just be, like, turning this fucking car around. (laughs) So, while he was trying to put together that explanation, Tim lost control of the car. (laughs) Yeah. And the car flipped five times, leaving Tim very, very injured. Over what? Like, where? He doesn't have any record. The guy in the car, Ken, has no reason as to why it... All of a sudden, the car was just flipping. Okay. Neither of them know why. All right. So, Ken, the friend, surprisingly, was able to get out of the car. Just crawled out. And then was able to flag somebody else down for help. Tim was not as lucky. He fractured his neck and was transported to a hospital and put into a medically induced coma. Mm. So they could do surgery on his neck. Okay. While he was in the coma and he underwent the surgery to repair his neck, um, he had another vivid dream. Which is interesting because when you're in those states, you don't usually remember things. Yeah. But Well, some people do actually. Yeah? Uh-huh. Um, well, then that makes sense. This dream, again, was in a car with Tim driving, but in a different area he was also unfamiliar with. And at this time, he was with his wife. And in the dream, Tim and his wife both looked up at the sky with amazement as a white light hovered slightly over their car. And then Tim woke up from the coma and everyone's around him. And he's like, hey, what the fuck's going on here? Like, why am I here? (laughs) So eventually they released him from the hospital. He was okay. He had a brace on. He had to go for follow-up visits good shit yeah so on may 30th about a month and a half later he went back to the hospital for his follow-up visit and uh they said they healed as expected so they took his brace off and him and his wife made their way home 
They took a different way home than the way that they came. They never really said why. And then uh, as they were driving, they felt that same sense of, he specifically felt that same sense of uncomfortable familiarity. Like, I've been here before. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. And you realized he and his wife were driving down the same road in the dream that he had while he was in this surgery. Fuck. Yeah. Tim thought it was he was just overthinking it until he saw a glow coming from behind a nearby, like, low hill in the horizon. So Tim slowed down and started to put the car in reverse, but the glow kind of did whatever Tim did. So they're just kind of doing this dance in the middle of a field. Okay. Um, eventually, it flew over the car, completely silent, and was able to maneuver between the power lines and the ground. So it went under the power lines. Oh. Close. And Tim described it as a glow coming from behind a ship that was about 100 feet long, 20 feet wide, and 10 feet tall. So kind of like a cigar. Okay. Um, and the ship was silent. It had two lights that were shining from the back of it. So you could always see the silhouette. And one was amber or yellow and one was red. Him and his wife just sat in the car for a while, staring at the lights, completely silent. They weren't talking, but they don't really have any recollection of how long they were like this, which is kind of common with any, like, alien sightings. You lose track of time. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. So Tim just remembers eventually telling his wife that they should keep driving. So they did. And they made their way back to Yuma. And they hadn't paid attention to timing or a clock, but they remember driving straight home in the dark. Tim did mention that he didn't feel like himself after that, but just assumed that it was, like, the stress of the day. Like, just something felt different about himself, but he couldn't put a finger on it. Okay. So that was in 78. In 1980, two years later, Tim was driving the same stretch of highway where he saw the two lights originally with his wife and was surprised to see them again. Oh! Yeah. He had had that same sense of uneasy peace And waited a bit until he decided to move on. So he kind of stopped, waited, went. But nothing ever came of it. So then, you know, everything's been kind of normal until we get to 1994, which was 14 years later. That's a while. Yeah. We'll break. Yeah. Tim was driving back home from a different area with his wife and his now three daughters. So now we're 14 years later. He's driving back home from a different area with his wife and his now three kids, three daughters. And they saw something hovering over their vehicle for about 10 minutes. (laughs) They saw something hovering over their vehicle for about 10 minutes. But this time it was, excuse me, sir. Uh, So they saw something hovering over their vehicle. For about 10 minutes. But this time it was white and blue lights, not red and yellow. Okay. And it was still completely silent. But Tim continued on, you know, after they watched it for a little bit, they kept on driving, trying not to pay much attention to his now three unexplained encounters and two premonitions. Mm -hmm. So, you know. Piling up. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of things going on that Tim doesn't have answers for, but he's just trucking through. He's trying to be like a... A stand-up guy here. So he's still working hard as ever. It's 1998. So 20 years since the first time that he's had any issues. And again, he's still a a cement worker. And he accidentally hit his thumb with a hammer and was pretty sure that he broke it. So he went to the hospital in Yuma to have it x-rayed. 
His thumb comes up on the x-ray. It's fine. But the doctors found something neither Tim nor the doctors could account for. Because when you do an x-ray of a thumb, it includes part of your forearm. And in the x-ray, including part of his forearm, the doctors were completely perplexed to see an outline of something that looked rigid like metal next to Tim's forearm. Like the bone in his arm had something next to it that he had never had a surgery that would make sense for that. He had never had an injury. And there was nothing in his medical chart explaining Mm -hmm. why that was there. Okay. So... In that moment where the doctor's like, hey, what is this? Tim had like this all of a sudden very self-realization. So in that moment, when he's trying to figure out like what what the fuck is in his arm, he had this realization that maybe in 1978, when he and his wife first saw the floating craft, that there was that time that they couldn't account for. Yeah. And he's like, maybe I wasn't crazy. Maybe there was time. I know. Yeah. And he always assumed he just got, like, his departure time or his arrival time wrong. Like, he just kind of thought it away. But when he saw a foreign object comfortably existing under his skin that he didn't know about, he assumed that at this point he didn't miscalculate his times that night. He was, in fact, missing a chunk of time from that night, and he had no memory of it. Yeah. Yeah. There he's like, the proof's in the pudding. Yeah. The proof's in the forearm. Proof's in the metal. So the doctors in Yuma were not willing to remove the object from Tim's arm because they didn't know what it was. They didn't yeah. put it there. They had nothing, like, they didn't even know if it was metal. Like, like they could have, yeah. yeah. So Tim started looking around for an expert in bodily foreign objects, which is a thing. Okay. There is people out there that are specifically experts in removing foreign objects from the body, which makes sense, except there's, like, a whole nother layer where they were put there by aliens. Hey. It's not just like, hey, I have a bobby pin stuck in my leg. It's... An alien put the bobby pin in there. I assume they do both things. Probably. I don't think there's enough demand. (laughs) You're probably right. So he starts looking around for an expert in this, and he found Dr. Roger Lear in Thousand Oaks, California. Remember, they're in Colorado, so not that far. Yeah. Roger and Tim spoke over the phone for about a year until Tim was ready to see Dr. Lear in person for the removal. Okay. So Dr. Lear, along with his team, was able to remove the foreign item or object, if you will, from Tim. And this would be his ninth procedure that Dr. Lear had performed like this, which means there was eight other people that had something semi-alien that they needed removed. Okay. So just to your point of, there can't be that many. Clearly, there's not. There's only eight. Yeah. So... He has to do something else the other days he's working. He was going to crochet, but it didn't work out. The other days he's, like, taking light bulbs out of people's ass, probably. (laughs) I was going for, like, a dog walker, and you're like, nah, he's fully taking light bulbs out of asses. Um, So (laughs) the object that they removed was seven centimeters long by four centimeters wide. That seems large. I'm not an expert in the metric system, though. Centimeters? I would say it's probably about this big. Where's Vlad? Okay. Yeah, where's... Man, he would have been so useful today. So seven centimeters long, four centimeters wide with, they called them, quote, perceptors, which in my head is like receptors, like something that grabs information at one end. And they were, these receptors were reportedly attached to Tim's nerve endings. So they had to be surgically removed from his nerve ending. Ew. Um, it was also, Ew. yeah, it was also covered in like a reddish brown membrane 
Like the whole thing was covered in this weird, like gelatinous membrane. And Dr. Lear hypothesized that that was to help counteract uh, rejection of the object. Oh, okay. Because like when you get somebody else's liver, they give Mm -hmm. you special medicine that your body doesn't kick it out. But if you don't know that it's there, you're not going to take the medicine. Yeah. So maybe that was jelly. It was, but it was. They weren't able to identify the membrane. So they sent the object to a lab for testing, right? Okay, all right. And it was determined that it was made from metals, not from this planet. Okay. And but what do you mean? How do you? It. They just know that they have never had a recording of the specific molecular structure of this metal on planet Earth. Okay. They had no name for it, no account for it. Okay. So clearly now it's on planet Earth because yeah. of Tim, but it's not like anything we had ever encountered okay. before. Um, Tim wasn't able to get any information on the device, but he had also not had visits from the lights since it was removed. Okay, good. Um, but he didn't have them a lot anyway. But. Yeah, I mean, he had three in 20 years. Yeah. So technically, Tim, it could just be time now. Yeah. Um. Tim has now become an advocate for other victims of implants and abductions because that's what he's thinking happened. Yeah. Like in that span of time, he was Chibata or Yeah. Um, in that span of time, he's thinking he was abducted and implanted with this gelatinous membrane. Yeah. I mean, I would too. Sure. Yeah. And he's trying to advocate for other victims so that way they don't have the same stigma that he had to dance around. Yeah. Um, because that was part, that was the hardest part for him was no one wanted to listen to him because yeah, they don't have a direct answer for it. Yeah. And some people that do say that are cock shit. Too. Oh, yeah. So yeah. they're fighting with that. You yeah. Know? Um, the lab that has the device hasn't given it back to Tim. So Tim doesn't anticipate getting more information, any more information on it. But Tim is convinced that he was abducted and implanted. He's never getting that shit back. No, it's, it's with a lab somewhere. And then. So up until this, I mean, even now, there's been no other events in Tim's life since the implant has been removed. He's doing just fine. Okay. So that's kind of just where Tim lives now. All right. Um, Good. Unrelated. But when I was researching this case, I ended up on Reddit because it's not a very widely covered case. No. And somewhere within the Reddit specifically related to this case... Remember how I said he was a, a cement worker? Uh-huh. Because that's what he was referred to as in all of my research. Someone went on Reddit specifically to this case and said that um, they are also a cement worker. And they get very annoyed to be referred to as such. And okay. um, that they prefer concrete workers. Okay. And I'm not sure if that's like a universal concern. So I'm going to keep it in mind. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sorry for all you concrete slash cement workers out there if i'm offending you but i yeah. didn't know that, that there was um me either a difference but no, um but I he was know. always reported as a cement worker so i'm sticking to that um but yeah that's that's tim cullen and his abduction implantation premonitions ah! all of the above that's weird i don't like it yeah oh and i think um so we were talking mostly about dirty laundry before we started recording today, but one of the other things we talked about is like our soft live show 
I guess we'll call it. So we're going <laughs> to only open it up to people that we know because we're going to do it at Aaron's house. So we don't want like, yeah. while we love you guys, we don't want her to be a case that we cover. So um, we're going to do like a soft live show. And it's looking like May 13th. Is that what we said? I think so. So we'll have um, some more information out there prior. And then most likely after that one, we're going to take a little bit of a break. Maybe just like a month or so. It's going to be nice. (laughs) And, you know, there's only so much our brains can take of this pleasant, pleasant information. Yeah. But we'll keep you updated. Yeah. Um, But yeah. So that's that. Um, Got anything else? No. Do you have any new business to bring to the committee? (laughs) No. (laughs) No. Oh, I got a flat tire today. Yeah. And now I have a donut. And now I'm thinking about membrane, so. Uh, yeah, the membrane was. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, so that's what we got. Thanks for listening. Thanks. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. Goodbye. Don't get abducted or implanted or membraned. Membrane. None of the above. Don't do it. (sighs) Bye.